nothing else in this life. We have you, and that's more than enough, more than we could ever need, Father. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Be with us as we go forward in the rest of the service. Um, let the word go forward. Let it go forward in power. Let us leave here changed. We'll pray all these things in Jesus' name. I could say, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak, but I'm very well aware that I'm just filling in because of a uh, scheduling issue uh, from last week. So, uh, you know, you're supposed to have this great doctor of the Pentecostal seminary all the way from Cleveland, Tennessee, um, but you just get the youth pastor today. So uh, that's all right. I still appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I do appreciate um, the opportunity to speak. It's super cool. Thank you. Pastor Ryan for trusting me with it. Um, I don't take it lightly. Uh, but I, he was asking me, uh, we, he and I were talking about what I should speak on this morning, and he really was just like, you know, do whatever you want, man. And I said, please don't do that to me uh, because I, I cannot stand that. I don't do well outside of, like, a series. I need some sort of heading, direction, or I will just sit at an empty uh, screen or at a stare at an empty sheet of paper for hours. So, I've just, you know, we're just going to stay uh, in the Holy Spirit series that we've kind of been in the, f the past few weeks and um, even continuing to talk about the fullness of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue in that vein today. Um, the bottom line this morning is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a Christian life um, and the, the sermon title this morning is just that, Empowered. Um, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a Christian life. Um, so begin to think about this. So everybody pull out your phone. If you got a smartphone, dumb phone, whatever kind of phone you got, uh, pull it out. Apple, Samsung, whatever you got. Um, I, we're just going to be using this as kind of a jumping point today, kind of as an ongoing illustration. Because I got to think about this um, just about being empowered and, and, and powering things up. Um, you know, I think the majority of us in here today have got one of these. Most of us probably have a smartphone. Um, it's hard, kind of, to even do life without one of these today, just the way things are set in motion, set, set in place now. You don't stay connected very well if you don't have a smartphone constantly at your disposal, and these things are helpful. They keep us connected. They, they help us to accomplish everyday tasks, get things done. Um, but what I begin to think about and realize is that they're really only good and they're really only useful if they've got power. You know, if you don't have any power going to this, it, it becomes pretty useless. Um, do we have any Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans? The, the NBC show, yes. I, I, there's this scene in that. You don't have to see, see the show to, to get this. It's just funny. Uh, there's a scene where they're all, they're all New York cops, but they decide to go out into the woods of, of upstate New York, and uh, they're out camping. They want to have this wilderness experience, and they're walking through, and Jake um, is like, Sarge, I, th I think we're lost. You know, we've been walking through the woods for a while now. We're lost. And um, he's like, not, not to worry, not to fear, I have a cell phone, and this is great. And he pulls out his cell phone, and he's like, ah, it's dead. It's just a brick now. We're lost. You know, so without power, this is just a brick. You know, it's a very fancy brick. It's a glass and metal brick. By the end of the day, without power, this thing isn't much use uh, to anybody. Um, and so we know this. We know how important it is um, 
to have power in our devices, and we have conversations, and we have priorities of, you know, don't forget to plug your phone in tonight. I talked about this a couple weeks ago on Grad Sunday of remember to plug in your devices, good, good life advice, um, because without it, it's not any good, and so we want to be able to remember to plug this in. It's a topic of conversation, um, and we hear about, you know, well, my phone is, is going to die. And how many of you have ever been in this situation? Where you, it's just you and one other person, or maybe you're in a group of people, but there's only one phone charger to spare between all of you. Oftentimes for me, this happens when I'm in the car with, with people. And um, it could be my car. It could be my charger. I'm the one who remembered to bring one. And I look, oh, man, I'm on, you know, 37%. And then my lovely fiancé will say, well, I'm on 23%. My battery is lower, so who gets it? What's the, what's the social rule that we've come up with? Apparently, it's whoever has the lowest battery. doesn't matter if it's my charger or not, and I'm the one who remembered to bring it. Because hers is a little bit lower, uh, that person gets it, right? We have, we've created all these weird things. Um, and, uh, th- you know, uh, we see how important it is, and uh, I pick on her a lot. But she, the other thing, too, is, you know, we are engaged and we're learning to do this thing together already trying to figure things out and she used to drive me crazy it's gotten better but she used to drive me crazy because she just would not plug her phone in at night and i am like i'm more of a tech techie dude and and she can be she knows how to use the things but she doesn't remember to plug stuff in at night and this is especially worrisome when uh she's still living an hour away in statesboro there's this long drive back and forth and, um, you know, we share a location with each other. And if her phone's dead, it doesn't do me any good. I can't see her location. Uh, she's not able to get in t- contact with me. If her car breaks down, I, for all I know, she is somewhere between Richmond Hill and Statesboro and could be in huge trouble. She could be dead, and I'd have no idea because she didn't charge up her phone. But a really great thing happened. Um, she, uh, about to be we, uh, dropped a bunch of money on a car. Uh, it was much needed. Uh, but it's, it's totally good. She's taking on all my college debt, so it evens out. I got college debt. She's got car debt, uh, so we're going to figure all that out together. Um, but, you know, she dropped. we got this really great car, and for the first time ever, um, me or her, we have uh, Apple CarPlay in this car, which is amazing. If you've, if you've ever used it, you know it's super cool. But what it requires you to do is you've got you've to plug it in for it to work. Uh, you've got to be able to con- connect to it with a physical cable. It doesn't just, the Apple CarPlay doesn't fully work, just automated over Bluetooth. So this has become incredible because now anytime she's in her car, her phone always has to be plugged in for her to use those capabilities. So I joke that we we spent tens of thousands of dollars on a phone charger, you know? It, it works great, you know? She's able to keep it charged and we don't have uh, an issue with that anymore. Um, actually, babe, today your new f- uh, cable is coming in today. I bought her a new cable because she, she came to me. She said, hey, can you find me a really good cable? Mine's kind of short now, and it's not working really well. Can you find me a really nice USB-C one? I was like, I got you, babe. If it means your phone's going to be charged, you know I'm on it. So we got it covered. Um, but so here, and then here's the little, you know, pastoral hook where, you know, we change it back to something spiritual. Uh, we're so, just heads up, um, we are so concerned about our devices, and I'm so concerned about mine, hers, um, but we ourselves can walk around without power. We walk around feeling powerless. We walk around where it is perfectly accessible. We have total access to empowerment for our own lives, and yet I think we choose just to ignore it for whatever reason. We don't know how to get this power or 
We're just choosing not to live underneath the power that the Holy Spirit has has fully opened up for us. Um, and as much as I believe that this morning, I, I would I would believe that majority of us say that we are Christians and, and are we're here at church together. So hopefully we are pursuing this walk with Christ uh, wherever we are at on that journey. I, I hope that we all desire to have that Christian life, but we fall short. We have shortcomings because we're not living as empowered believers, because we're not living fully charged, plugged up to the source. And again, the bottom line this morning is that the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to live that Christian life. And of course, Jesus. So Jesus is our ultimate example in all things in life. But even in this, he gives us such a, an incredible example of how to live an empowered life. The, the 33 years that he walked on earth and especially the three years uh, at the very end of his life, that he was actually doing ministry. Those are kicked off by John the Baptist baptizing him, and the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, rests on him, and empowers him. Gives Jesus the power and ability to heal people, to set people free for for demonic oppression to come off of people, sicknesses and diseases leave people's body because of the power of the Spirit that is in Jesus and and flowing out of him. He was empowered to do this. Um, and then right after that, the Gospels say um, immediately he is thrust into the wilderness. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what's interesting to me is that it's not, it's not Satan dragging him out into the wilderness saying, all right, time to be tempted, time to be tested, come on out here with me. But Scripture says the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days, no food, no water, to be tempted. And Jesus doesn't crack, doesn't crumble, doesn't fall under the pressure of this temptation of the things of this world because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's got this power flowing through his veins. Later on, as he is the night before he's in the garden, he's, it's the night before he's about to go to the cross, and he comes from this long messianic line all the way back to Adam and Eve, Abraham, David, all these people that are in his line, all of them have had shortcomings. All of them have failed. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is able to say in the garden, not my will, Father, but your will be done. You do what you want to do through me. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's able to do this. And, and later on in the New Testament, Paul even tells us that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that raises Jesus up from the dead. The power of the Spirit is what brings life back into the once dead body of Jesus and so Jesus, knowing all of this very well, um, doesn't uh, withhold this power from his believers. He's, he sees it as such a necessity. This power that he's walked with his whole time on earth, he knows how necessary it is for his disciples at that time and for you and I today. And so this is what he says. Look with me at John 20, 21 through 23. Um, so Jesus is... Raised from the dead at this point, he's walking around 40 days um, on earth before his ascension into heaven. And it's during this time that um, a couple things happen that really stand out to me. First of all, the disciples are gathered, and all of a sudden, Jesus is, it just says he's in their midst. The disciples are actually telling the um, two disciples are telling the, the other uh, 11 at that point, and some others that were gathered, like, hey, we just saw this man on the road. Turns out it was Jesus. And then he just disappeared. They're telling him all these wonderful things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is right there in the middle of the room, right there with them. And um, he just appears out of nowhere. And he's like, peace. As if that was, you know, a, a way to just make them <laughs> feel so much better about him. Just all of a sudden being there. 
But then we pick up at verse 21, and he again says, again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive, then they are not forgiven. And I get this image here of uh, Genesis chapter 1, the murky, chaotic, gloomy waters of just nothingness. There's nothing going on. It's, it's formless. It's void. There's nothing at the beginning of creation. God speaks, and life happens. God speaks life into existence at the very first creation, the very first life. And Jesus is like echoing this. God the Son is now echoing this in his believers. He says, I'm breathing on you, and now you receive the Holy Spirit. This is the disciples' salvation moment. Now the resurrected Jesus holds all power in his hands. Now that he has beaten death, he has beaten sin, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, but now has the ability not just to be filled with it himself, but he has the ability to impart it and to send it and to give it to his disciples. And he breathes on them as God breathed in Genesis chapter 1, and he breathes new life into them. This is their second life. This is their uh, birth times two, rebirth. This is when the disciples experience that. And at that moment, they receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, as all of us do. It is a free gift that, that is given us by Christ at salvation. Scripture says that Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what leads us to salvation. So why would he ever depart from us whenever we reach the point of salvation? We receive him at that moment, living inside of us. However... Jesus knew for his disciples then and for us today that this wasn't enough just to leave it at that, just at a receiving of the Holy Spirit. But look at Luke 24, 49. This is the very end of Luke's gospel. And this is what Jesus tells them. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And so Jesus tells them, you have received the Holy Spirit, but that's not enough. Uh, it's so interesting to me that in this moment, Jesus could have said, all right, you guys have got the Holy Spirit. You're good to go. Here's a great commission. Go into all the world, spreading my name, spread the gospel, tell them all about uh, me, make disciples, and give them a pat on the butt, and you guys go on and do your thing, all right? Have a good one. I'm going up to heaven with the Father, and uh, see you next time when I come back. But no. He tells them something totally different. He says, wait right here in Jerusalem. Do not go anywhere, but you need to wait for the power to come upon you before you're able to do anything. The same power that Jesus had been walking in as he'd been doing his ministry, he realized how desperately his followers, his disciples would need it, that they actually wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't be able to walk as Christians, as disciples, as Christ followers without living in this power. Jesus knew that only disciples empowered by his spirit would be able to live and act how they were supposed to. So he tells them to, to stay there, to stop, and to wait for that to happen. Because again, the bottom line this morning, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a Christian life. And the question I begin to ask myself, and I want to ask all of us this morning, is do you, f do you feel that? Do you feel empowered to live a Christian life? 
because we can get very drugged down by the things of this world that would try to take our attention off of him. We can feel powerless. We can feel like we're not in control. Um, and, and I think that there's a, a big difference between just claiming to be a Christian um, and, and being a disciple. There, there's a huge difference in these two things. Um, a, a disciple and a Christian there's a huge difference. Jesus doesn't ever call us to be Christians. He doesn't go out into all the world. He doesn't say go out in all the world and make Christians. You know, he says go out and make disciples. The word Christian is mentioned three times in the Old Testament, and I didn't know this until literally this past week as I was studying. But the the term Christian was a derogatory term uh, made up made from the, the the Romans and and the the religious leaders that looked down on Jesus and his followers. Christian literally means, I knew this much, that it meant little Christ or Christ-like, but I didn't know that that wasn't even something that Christians came up with. It was slandered at them. It was a derogatory term, all you you Christians. They already didn't think anything of Jesus. They didn't think highly of him at all, and so now his followers, how much more less are they than that? Just They're just little Jesuses, you know, little Christ, so-called, little Christians. This is a derogatory term. Um it's not until Peter comes along later and says, look, if they're going to call you that, then boast in it. Be glad in it. Be glad when somebody persecutes you because of your faith. Be glad when they call you a little Christ because that's what we are after all. So don't turn away from that. But the word disciple is used 250 times in the New Testament. The word disciple has so much more of an of an impact. And today, you know, we can we can look at some people and call them cultural Christians, where, especially down here in the South, where everybody just seems to grow up as a Christian or have Christian values, it's, it's easy to just brush things off. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Mom and Daddy were. Mom and Granddad were. I am now. But I had, uh, I've, I've heard this said, I had this thought of what if in my normal day-to-day interactions, and I've heard Pastor Ryan say this, too. It's so funny. We get in a conversation out in public, rubbing elbows with people, just just wherever, and you get in a conversation of, okay, what do you do? Well, I do this. Well, what's your job? And it's so funny the the second that someone says, um, well, what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, I'm I'm a pastor, and I almost hesitate to say that now, not because I'm ashamed, not because I don't love Jesus, or or not because I I'm ashamed of the gospel, anyways, but because people change when you tell them that. <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, sorry for cussing a second ago. Sorry, I'll try to clean it up. I'm like. I, you're good. Like, I don't hold you up to the standards if you don't claim the name of Jesus, you know? And I've heard Pastor Ryan say the same thing. Uh, I've heard many pastors say that, that they run into that when they're just trying to have normal interactions with people. But people's whole demeanor changes. It's like, oh, sorry, sorry, you know? But I begin to wonder. It's so, because you don't get that same reaction if you just say, you know, I'm a Christian. The reaction's much different. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. But I wonder what the reaction would be uh, how different it would be if when we got in a conversation, people ask us, you know, well, what's, what's your religion or um, what do you believe and that type of thing. If we were to say, well, I am a disciple of Jesus. It holds a lot more weight than just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think people would be like, oh, my gosh, what does that mean, you know? And it opens up a whole new door of conversation of, well, flesh that out for me. What do you mean that you're you're a disciple? And you get to have an opportunity to say, well, I, mean, I, I follow him. I don't do everything perfectly. I'm trying. I'm walking in this. I, I, he's discipling me. He's teaching me. But I'm, I'm trying to follow him. You know, it opens up conversation. Um, and 
it 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 means this in in Luke nine twenty three Jesus himself talks about what it means to truly be a disciple. Luke uh, nine twenty three says, "If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me." And I've, I begin to discover that if there's a cross involved <laughs> in what Jesus is saying, something's going to die. And the people of Jesus' time that he was saying this to um, really understood this. And I think we've got, you know, I, I'm wearing a cross around my, my neck right now. You know, we've got this amazing view of the cross. Like, oh, yeah, that's where it happened, man. You know, Jesus took on everything for me on a cross. It's almost like we've got it in a positive light. Um but for them, back then, that was the emblem, as the song says, the emblem of suffering and shame. It, it was truly the worst way that the Romans had come, had, could come up with, that you could die, slow, painful death. And so for Jesus to use that analogy of, you want to follow me, you've got to put yourself on a cross, a, a painful death to yourself, to the things of this world, to your flesh, and die to those things, man. That's a lot of weight. That's what a disciple truly does, um, to take this up every single day, day in, day out. And I, and I try to remember that anytime I put a cross necklace or something around my neck to think, okay, I'm taking up, just as a symbol, I'm taking up my cross today. Jesus, please help me to die to my flesh today. Um, and I've, I've heard this said, uh, and, and Taylor told me to take credit for this second service around, but I, I can't. This is my dad. He was a youth pastor forever and used this a ton. And this has just always stuck with me, but he's, he said it this way based on this scripture that in your, in your heart there's a, a throne and a cross, and you and Jesus are standing there, and one of you is, you get to decide which one of you is going to go on what. Either you can put yourself on that throne and you can be Lord of your life and say, I'm going to do things my way, do things the way I want to do, and you can put Jesus back up on that cross and kill him again. And let him die again for your sins and die again for all your wrongdoings. And you just keep doing what you want to do as Lord of your life. Or you can put yourself on that cross and allow Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart and be Lord over your life. So really only two options. There's, there's no in-between. There's no lukewarm Christianity. You can be one way or the other, Jesus says in, in Revelation. Um, and the only one that can empower us to do that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. They can empower us to daily say, all right, I'm, I'm putting myself back on that cross. I'm dying to myself today. So we started off this morning, the, the beginning of the sermon, talking about our cell phones, talking about um, that without the power that they're just, they're dead. Um, and I begin to follow that through and think about this morning. I begin to think, okay, so every single one of our phones has a creator, whether it's some dude or lady sitting up at Apple or Samsung, I, I don't know how that works. I, I probably should understand more of the process of how phones are made, but I have no idea. But somebody a lot smarter than me uh, put phones together and sends them out. And I imagine they put a great deal of effort into it. I mean, it's pretty amazing what they're capable of. And so they had a design in mind. They had a lot of thought. They had a lot of effort put in. And uh, something else, that, and I did look this up to just to make sure I wasn't wrong on this, but also, every single cell phone is unique. They all pretty much do uh, similar things and get the job done. And you've even got, you know, if you've got the iPhone 13, iPhone 14, whatever you've got, there's tons of those made. But every single one of those has its own serial number. It's got its own unique number to it. And um, 
I began to think about that and that we are similar in that way that we, uh, we have a creator. We have a design. We, God spent a lot of time making every single one of us. He was intentional when he made us. He put a lot of thought, a lot of effort into making us. And every single one of us is unique as well. It's the VeggieTales saying, God made you special and he loves you very much, you know. Uh, my first word as a baby was Bob from, from that show, by the way. So it's in literally ingrained in me. Um, but he's made us this way. He's made us unique. But at the same time, again, similarly to phones, is that we pretty much all have the same design. We have the same uh, purpose behind the design, which is connection. And I begin to think about every single app, every single use of my phone. When you get down to the bottom line of all of it, it's really the purpose is really to stay connected, whether it's text or phone call, the basic uses of a phone or any other social media, even things that I use for work. Um, I can't tell you all how many times I cheat and pull up the People Planning Center app on my phone because I forget somebody's name and I see them across the store and I'm like, oh gosh, I know that face. What is, and I'm like, I know their kid is in my youth group. Let me look up their name and look at their household and I get the name. Hey, Joe, how you doing, man? Like acting like, yeah. Connection though, right? It's still the bottom line. I probably shouldn't have told him myself like that. Y'all ever see me frantically in the corner at Publix, like hovering over my phone? You know what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah, I really told him myself. Um, horrible with names. But the baseline, the base purpose of uh, function of our phones is to stay connected with one another. And is that not our original design by God? Is connection with him? to be fully known by God and, and for God to fully know us and then for us to branch out and love people in the same way that we've been shown love, the same way we love ourselves. The base purpose of, of our functionality, too, is connection. Um, and I begin to think about this, but still the, the issue remains that we operate unplugged. We operate not living an empowered life. I was driving home, or I was riding home, um, from North Carolina yesterday, we went to my cousin's graduation. We're on the way home, and um, I am finishing up my sermon. I am doing all the things on my devices. My phone starts to die, and um, low power mode turns on, as I'm already thinking through this analogy. Uh, low power mode cuts on, and I'm like, okay, what does this mean? And so I began to think about how we might operate in just low power mode a lot of the time. And I looked. I went into my phone settings and looked up um, – into the battery settings, and this is the exact definition of low power mode that Apple gives. Low power mode temporarily reduces background activity like downloads and mail fetch until you can fully charge your iPhone. That's what it says in, in their settings. And I just thought, man, is that not us when we just go into coasting mode, just go into low power mode, not getting charged up, not getting empowered, that the first thing to go away when we hit that mode is that we stop receiving from God. There's no download. There, there's no mail fetching. You know, we're not hearing from him. We're not getting his word inside of us. There's nothing being received. That gets cut off whenever we just kind of are getting by, coasting through, just getting through on, on low power mode. Um, so many things get hindered. Um, you know, and we think to ourselves, you know, eventually I'll get charged up again. I'll have time. I'll find, charge, uh, I'll find time to, to charge up, to get plugged back into my word. Um, but, you know, I guess I, I'm fine on the last charge I had. I, I'm good to go on, on the last bit of Jesus, the last filling I had however long ago. And we just try to ride it out for as long as we can when power is readily available. 
I'm the only one that's, that's been there. I find myself there a lot, and man, I can tell a, a difference. Um, I, I can feel that inside of me. Um, and the, the praise team can, can come up as we're closing. Um, I can feel a difference inside of me whenever I'm living fully empowered and not. I, I can tell a difference in my mindset. I can tell a difference in my interactions with people. Whether or not I want to <laughs> interact with people is very dependent upon this flow first. Um, and here's what I've had to learn. And, and again, I wish this was my quote, but it's not. But it's really good. I had to realize that the Holy Spirit does not make the Christian life better. He makes it possible. It's not an option. It's not just, okay, maybe I'll, I'll be filled today. Maybe I'll include the Holy Spirit in on, on my daily routine today. But it's what makes it possible. We will be so frustrated. We will be so irritated trying to live rightly, trying to live as we know we should, as God's word has said, if we're trying to do that apart from him, unplugged from him, we will be so frustrated, so irritated all the time, just trying to figure out why we can't get it right when the Holy Spirit is the only thing that makes it possible at all. And um, to close, I want to read this scripture from Galatians 5. And this is a, a newer version of the Bible, um, the Passion Translation. And it just says this so beautifully. This is where Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit is where this is going to end up. But listen first to Yeah.
so Paul's reminding us here in this passage in Galatians 5 that the remedy to combating the desires of the flesh is not to try harder, but to be filled more with the Spirit. It's not that I go through life with a clenched fist, gritted teeth, just trying, trying harder in my own power, in my own flesh. Just, I want to do better today. I want to do better. But it's actually the opposite. It's so desperate. 